Good morning, my sweetheart church. Very excited about that bicycle obstacle course, although I understand that the staff has ordered up an ambulance to be on standby just for me, so I'm offended <laughs> by that. Our daughter Rachel owns a cabin in the uh, mountains of North Carolina, and recently she had a home invasion by bats. A colony of bats squeezed their way into her wall and set up shop there. So Rachel called Terminex to find out how she could get rid of them, what the quote would be, $1,400 to get rid of those bats, and they couldn't do it until September, so she'd have to live with them for a couple months. So my industrious daughter took matters into her own hands. She climbed a 30-foot ladder and spray-foamed all of the cracks into the wall. She installed a one-way bat door. There is such a thing. They can get out, but they can't get back in, kind of the opposite of Hotel California for you Eagles fans. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> and then she waited. And when the bats couldn't get into the wall, they started hanging out literally on her porch, pooping up a storm. And Rachel was fed up. So she went to the Marion Walmart, bought a pellet gun, dressed in camo, put on a red light headlamp, and lay in wait that night. And I got a text the next morning saying, vengeance is sweet, the body count is now six. <laughs> Over the next three nights stakeout, she offed nine bats, and then their surviving friends decided to go poop on someone else's porch. So place is clear. And I know some of you are just horrified by that story because they're so cute and fuzzy and they kill bugs and yeah, whatever. <laughs> Talk to me about that after your walls have been invaded by guano producing rabies carrying vampires in waiting. <laughs> and since a few years ago I shot an aggressive raccoon right off the top of our Roof, I know exactly where Rachel gets this protect your castle at all cost instinct. I'm proud of her. I don't blame her for not wanting to coexist with those creatures. Are you? Yeah. That might work with the furry winged pests in a cabin in the Appalachians. What about the pests that sit around you on a Sunday morning? Your church pests. What about the people that you don't like very much? the people that you don't agree with, the people that you don't vote like, and really, really don't want to hang out with them very much. One solution, like Rachel did, is to chase them away. And that's happening in more and more churches across the country. The churches in the United States are becoming increasingly monolithic. They look the same. They are the same color. They believe the same. They vote the same. And honestly, these last two years have accelerated that trend in our own city here in Gig Harbor. We have long-standing members who left to go to other churches because of masks, because of vaccines, because my sermons were too political, because my sermons were not political enough, because I was too conservative, because I was too liberal. 
I'm not making these up. These all were excuses I got from the people who decided to leave Chapel Hill and go somewhere else. So is that our solution? If, if you have people in your church who think differently, who vote differently, who be, behave differently, is the only solution to abandon ship and find another church where everyone is just like you? Paul had some very strong opinions about that. We're going to talk about them this morning. In this sermon series, we've been talking about the, the, the one another's in the New Testament, the 59 one another's in the New Testament that they, they admonish us on how we ought to live together as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. This morning's may be the most difficult one of all. Live in harmony with one another. And you'll find this theme scattered throughout the New Testament but nowhere is it stated as clearly as Paul states it in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12. And by the way, in that same place, he gives us a few tips on how we might be able to pull this off in a very divided world, in a very contentious time. So let's learn how we might live in harmony with one another from the great apostle, chapter 12 of the book of Romans, starting with verse 3. Here's what Paul writes. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. This is the word of the Lord. Has our country ever been more divided in our lifetime? I was talking with Doug Burley last week. He's one of our mission partners. Doug has ministered to world leaders in Washington, D.C. for many decades. I had a coffee with him last week, and he said, I've never seen our nation so divided. I said, okay, come on now. I know we say that. I know I've said that. You know, that's the hyperbole of a sermon. But, but do you think it's really true? And in your 70 plus years, you've never seen this kind of division before. He said, nope, never. It's the worst I've ever seen it. And that seeps into the church, doesn't it? It can't help but seep into the church to the point where we tippy-toe around delicate topics that we believers in Christ ought to be able to engage in grace. So is that really the best we can do? Keep our mouths shut and when we can't stand it anymore, go and find a church that's more like us? Because it's not like the first century church was homogeneous. They had Roman citizens and Roman slaves. They had Jews and they had Gentiles. They had men and horror of horrors. They had women too in the same church. And still Paul said, you will live in harmony with one another. So how? How do Republicans and Democrats, 
Trumpers and never-Trumpers, pro-choicers and pro-lifers, BLMers and thin blue liners. How in the world do we all live in harmony? Is it even possible? I think Paul offers a few tips on how we might pull this off in the Spirit. And there's the key, isn't it? In the power of the Spirit is only how we're going to be able to do this. Here's what Paul says to us. He wants, he wants us to be, be curious, be compassionate, be courteous, and be yourself. Those four things, be curious, be compassionate, be curious, and be yourself. First of all, first step in living in harmony with one another, be curious. I draw this from verse 3, where Paul urges every person not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And later in verse 6, he says, never be wise in your own sight. That's a lot of times to not be wise. Never be wise in your own sight. One of the reasons we live in disharmony is that we are so certain about our opinions that we have no interest in what someone else might think. I've got it all figured out. I don't care about your thoughts. Your opinions don't matter to me. Your perspective doesn't matter to me. The word for that, by the way, is incurious. Incurious, which means you are so full of and confident in your own thinking, you aren't the slightest bit curious about someone else's perspective. This baffles me. Because I have discovered over the years that curiosity is one of the greatest ways to break down walls between us. Being inquisitive, being curious is one of the greatest ways to break down walls. Cindy and I were playing golf this last week, and we invited a man to join us. He was a single, and the whole time we played together, he never asked a single question. I, I peppered him with questions about where he lived and what he did for a living and his family and his golf game, and he never once asked a single question. And in case you didn't know, golf takes hours to play. <laughs> hours to play. Later on, I told Cindy, I said, I, he wasn't inquisitive at all. And I've actually found this surprisingly common in our culture. It's such a simple thing to ask a question. I literally taught our son, who was kind of shy, I literally taught him, after I taught him how to shake hands and look someone in the eye, the next thing I said was, I want you to ask a question. He said, what kind of question? I gave him a few suggestions. I said, I don't even care if you don't remember the, the answer. I want you to ask a question. Take an interest in someone else. Be curious about them. And so many people are bad at it. They don't ask, they only tell. One of the fascinating things about Jesus' ministry is how many questions he asked. According to Craig Springer, who's written a helpful book, um, How to Revive Evangelism, we're basing our class on that, as a matter of fact. Craig Springer tells us that Jesus asked, ready for this, 307 questions in the Gospels. 307 questions. And of the 183 questions others asked him, Guess how many answers he gave? How many direct answers did Jesus give to all those questions asked of him? Eight. Yeah, eight. He asked 307 questions. He answered eight questions directly. Now, now why did he do that? Because he didn't know the answers? Not a good answer. <laughs> 
course he knew the answers. He knew everything. Maybe he did it to build relationship. Maybe he did it to engage his listeners. Maybe he did it to help them think through their own issues. Whatever the reason was, Jesus Christ was a remarkably inquisitive person. So how much more curious ought we to be? We who don't know everything, even though we think we do. How, how much more inquisitive ought we to be than Jesus? If Jesus asked 38 times more questions than he gave answers, shouldn't our ratio be at least the same, 38 to 1? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Never be wise in your own sight. Our neighbor votes differently than we do. The yard signs say it all. And I haven't had the guts to do it yet, in part because we're still trying to develop a relationship with them. But I would really love to sit down with them someday and say, could you tell me why you think that person and those policies are best for our community and for our nation? I really would like to hear your thoughts on that. The problem is such questions today immediately put folks on the defensive, don't they? There's no way you could have a legitimate conversation of that sort. What about within the church? Is there any room here, any grace here for us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think? Is there any room for us to not be wise in our own sight, to be curious, to ask, ask someone why they think the way they think? We still might disagree, but at least we would understand why we think differently, and maybe it would open wider those doors of harmony, those doors of relationship, which I think matters to the Lord Jesus. So, if you want to live in harmony with one another, start by being more curious, be more inquisitive, ask more questions. I think the second thing Paul teaches us is to be more compassionate. The verse just before live in harmony with one another is this one, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. This is a description of a deeply empathetic, compassionate person. One who is attuned to the hearts and the confusions and the struggle of those around her. Of course, if you're doing point one, if you are curious, you're going to have been asking questions that will draw out these kind of answers from people as they get to know and trust you better. One of the ways we live harmoniously is if we enter into deep, genuinely caring relationships, even in their joys and their pains. I heard this week of a girl who has run away from her family, teenage girl. She has been taken in by a pimp. It is a devastating piece of news. This family, as it turns out, is not attending our church anymore. They, they left for some of the reasons I described earlier. But when you hear something as horrible as this, your response is, who cares? Who cares? Because there's nothing more important than leaning into that moment with them, their pain, their grief. We enter into the pain and the joy of our fellow believers, and when you do, when you have genuine compassion for people, it begins to push those disagreements into the background. So be curious, be compassionate. Here's one. How about being courteous? We are sorely lacking in courtesy in this nation. I take that from verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably 
with all. I love that verse. If possible. It's not always possible. Some, sometimes a fight is just inevitable. It's just going to happen. But if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Now, I'm not talking about being codependent. I'm not talking about putting up with abusive behavior. But if possible, so far as it depends upon you, do everything reasonable, everything healthy that you can to live in peace with those around you. The opposite of this is a person who is discourteous, who has a chip on his shoulder, who is always picking a fight, always on the defensive. Paul says, don't be that kind of person. Be willing to overlook unimportant slights. Don't be quick to take offense. Last week we talked about what it takes to admonish one another, what it takes when when you've got an offense against a brother, what do you do? You go to them face-to-face, one-on-one, tenderly and and graciously, and deal with it. But here's, here's the deal. Not everything needs to be an offense. Not everything is worth fighting about. Sometimes, probably more often than we imagine, it is okay to say, who cares? Who cares? It's no big deal. It's not worth fighting over. When I got upset as a kid, my mom used to say, pull in your horns. (laughs) Pull in your horns. Maybe the way you could live more harmoniously with others would be to pull in your horns. Stop looking for a fight. Just be more courteous. So be curious, be compassionate, be courteous, and then finally Paul says, be yourself. One of our popular phrases in our culture right now is, you do you. I love that, as you can imagine, but (laughs) I I think that's what Paul is actually saying in verse 4, when he says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Each of us is created differently, each of us has different gifts, different passions, we work differently, think differently, react differently, feel differently. And the wonderful teaching here and throughout the New Testament is that's a good thing. This diversity is a part of God's creative plan. He made us differently, each with a different set of gifts, each with different perspectives. And he made it that way so that we need each other. Only when we bring our unique sets of gifts together Can we collectively fulfill the call upon our life that God has placed upon this body? And it's such a relief then. You don't have to be embarrassed or shy about who you are. You don't have to mute your voice. You don't have to water down your own passions. You don't have to retreat into your own insecurities. Rather, Paul is saying, you do you. God has created you and your gifts to be shared, your thoughts to be received, your voice to be heard. And as long as you do it curiously and compassionately and courteously, he says, go for it. You do you. There's no question that Paul is calling the church to unity, just as the Lord Jesus did. You remember his prayer in the upper room in John chapter 17? It was his great high priestly prayer. And in that prayer, he prayed for us. He prayed that we would all be one, even as the Father and I are one. 
That is amazing unity. We're supposed to be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. But, so this thing matters. But here's the deal. Christian unity is not uniformity. What does Paul's call to us? He doesn't say be uniform among one another. He says live in harmony with one another. What does harmony take? It takes a lot of different notes. We're not called to uniformity. We're not called to unison. I mean, this is unison. How many parents here are Suzuki parents? Yeah, so you know my pain. This is unison. And for the first few years of our kids' piano career, that is all we heard. And then when they really got going, it was. I guess they decided if one note in unison was great, then six would be really better. How boring would it be if that's what the church is intended to be? We're not called to live in unison. We're called to live in harmony. That's more fun. Harmony. The wonder of the church, the gift of God to the church is that he takes all of our notes and brings them together into something that's beautiful. You can't have a chord if you don't have three notes at least. That's what a chord is. Harmony isn't possible unless you sing different notes but do it together. We're not called to uniformity. We're not called to unison. We're called to live in harmony. That's a sweet thing. It's a fun thing. But it's not always an easy thing. I have a, a colleague with whom, whom I, I love deeply and really respect. But we had some issues, issues that we couldn't get past. Things about our shared past and things about each of our distant pasts. Something about our relationship sometimes triggered these memories. And we just weren't living in harmony with one another. And I knew it wasn't good for us. It wasn't good for the staff. It wasn't good for the church, and so I proposed mediation. 
We called in a neutral third party, someone trained in the biblical work of reconciliation. And she helped us to learn to speak the truth and love to each other. So for two months, we did this. We met, and we did our homework, and we prayed, and we thought, and we came back together. And finally, then a couple of weeks ago, we, we hit a breakthrough, I think. We listened carefully to each other. We dialed back our pride and our hurt, our assumptions. Honestly, it was kind of scary to share deeply from your heart, but when we did, it led us to a place of confession and forgiveness. As we sought to be curious and compassionate and courteous to each other, we had a, a breakthrough and lots of tears. Even the counselor was bawling. And it was really a Holy Spirit reconciliation. And I'm not saying we won't have challenges again, of course we will, but we are, I think, better equipped to face them because we were earnest about seeking reconciliation, earnest about seeking to live in harmony with one another. And because we were, the Holy Spirit met with us and did something really profound. I share this with permission, by the way, and I share it to demonstrate I am dead serious about this. I was not living in harmony with my brother, and I had to own my part in it and be willing to invest in it. It takes a lot of work and a lot of practice to learn to harmonize piano notes. It takes a lot of work and practice sometimes to learn how to live in harmony with those who see or do life differently than you. But if we will do that work, the Holy Spirit just loves to weave together those, the notes of our lives into something that's quite lovely. So you know my question, right? How about you? Who is the person in your life with whom you are not in harmony at all? Who is the, who is the pest that you'd at least like to put a one-way bad door on your life and if not pull out a pellet gun and just hustle them along the way? I'll bet every one of us has something like that. Someone that we just don't see eye to eye. We just don't believe the same way. We just don't vote the same way. It's just... But yet Paul says, I want you to live, all of you, in harmony with one another. So the question is, are you willing to do the work to, to obey this command? Can you be more curious, more compassionate, more courteous? Probably not. I mean, you develop bad habits, don't you? Not unless the Holy Spirit is willing to do a new work of creation in you and he would be delighted. So I want us to close this time together by praying and asking God to bring that person to mind and give us the courage to take one step closer to them, all right? Would you join me in prayer? So Father, I, I do, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I, I thank you that we are a church that has sought to make only one icon the center of our church, and that is the empty cross of Jesus Christ. When we show up here on a Sunday morning, we set aside all of the other badges, all the flags, all the identifiers that help us to align with people outside of these walls. We set them aside, and we walk in under the cross of Christ, one body, each members of one of the other. It grieves me, Lord, when people run away in order to find others that are more like them instead of leaning into each other and saying, what can we learn from each other? What can we teach one another? And more importantly, how can we bring honor to Christ by the way that his spirit unites the most disparate of souls? 
Teach us what it means to live in true harmony with each other. Not unison, not uniformity, but be delighted that our notes can join with the voices of others and forming beautiful, complex chords that delight you and bless this world. I pray for every person here that you would put someone in mind, a brother or sister in Christ, that they're just really the pests in their life. And I pray, God, that you would stir in them a willingness to do something, if possible, so far as it depends upon them. I pray that you would empower them, encourage them to take the steps necessary to, to live in harmony with them, if possible, so far as it depends on you. That is what Paul says. So listen to the prompting of the Spirit this day because you can't do it without His help. And don't leave this place without allowing the Spirit to begin a work of reconciliation in your life. It is a sweet, sweet ministry that only the Spirit can do. Spirit, we ask you to do that for us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.